0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You speakers meeting. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Sunday, October 6, 2013. The share ID number for Friday, October fourth, is 5256. 5256. OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals Through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of overeaters, anonymous. I will now call on Philomena to read the 12
1: steps. Good morning, vision for you. Uh, my name is Philomena, I've recovered compulsive reader. The 12 steps one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive verb and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you.
0: I will now call on Lisa Renee to read the 12 traditions.
2: Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision, for you. This is Lisa Renee recovered in South Jersey. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, I pass.
0: Thank you. Our whole journey through the steps takes us to step 12. Step 12 says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Here this morning to carry this message of recovery and share her experience, strength, and hope with us is Marcella. Marcella, welcome to the line.
3: morning, Leah. Morning, everybody. My name is Marcella, and I'm a recovered, compulsive overeater. All happy, joyous, and free in this beautiful morning, in the loving company of my God and you guys. And frankly, I stop um, distinguishing between one and the other. The experience of God is being with you. So um, I'm going to um, give you some numbers in the hopes that you all believe that I'm telling the truth. I'm 53 years old. I um, my height is five feet four. I weighed this morning 133 pounds even. Um, my abstinence date is February the 22nd of 2011. That is the day in which I took my last binge, hopefully, and the day that I started my recovery uh, for overeating. Um, in this height, I have weighed 78 pounds. My hair was falling down, my teeth were wiggly. I was hospitalized and, and I was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa, but not with addiction, surprisingly enough. And then a year later, I was weighing a little over 200 pounds, but I couldn't see the problem because. Just a year before, everybody was telling me, eat, 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 eat something. Well, I did, and I couldn't stop. Um, my first diet, um, my first formal diet, um, because I was raised um, Jewish in Mexico City. So there are not too many of us down there. And in order to um, keep us kosher, my dad created, I mean, we didn't have a potchery, we didn't have, you know, black like the large community of Jews around us, so um but my dad was very sealous and my mom was very devoted so so we couldn't eat this and we couldn't eat that and we couldn't eat this and we couldn't that we we ate at home and we ate large amounts of the things that we could eat. And so I guess that I've never been um I've never had the experience of joining everybody when it comes to food. And uh but I ate too much as I said. So when I was ten years old my dad, um and my parents sent me to Disneyland so that I could practice my English. And while all 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 of all of the other kids were jumping up and around and excited with the rides and talking their English to everybody, I was practicing my English at all eateries and, you know, all the buffets and and without the the, the the constant watching of somebody behind my back, I would eat sweets for breakfast, sweets for lunch, sweets for dinner. I I would stretch my dollars to the maximum so that I could keep eating. I didn't spend. I didn't buy any mementos or any you know t-shirts or you know Mickey Mouse hats or nothing. Oh, I, just, I just I just ate. And um, at the end of the second week. Um, my, my I didn't fit in my clothes, So, but I didn't get worried because I said, well, I'm 10 years old, I have to grow, but I was growing just in one direction. Anyway, this is um, where I really want to insert myself in the book and insert myself in the steps. Um, otherwise, I'll just start talking and I won't keep my primary purpose this morning, which is to... Um, Participate in my recovery and give you guys some hope, hopefully. On page 8 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the second paragraph says, No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had made my match. I had been overwhelmed. Food was my master. The original says alcohol was my master, but my alcohol that summer was food. And the quicksand that was stretching around me was my own body. And I was being overwhelmed by my excess of food and my inability to stop eating. So my mom picked me up from the airport, even one month after, and she was horrified, horrified. My family was prominent in Mexico City. My dad was on TV every single morning. And, um, and my mom was a beautiful, wonderful, fantastic fashion designer and the best interest in the world. And uh, so my my parents were very concerned with looks because people would take a picture on the street and all of that. So when my mom saw me in the airport, I mean, the look on her face, I, I I can still see it. I can still feel like, what have you done? So she dragged me to, um, back there and then, we're talking about 19, Mexico City in 1970. It was not that fashionable or that inexpensive, the most popular diet um, club in America. So we went there, and, and she dragged me there, and I dieted, and I dieted, and I dieted, and after. Eight months of torture. It was torture. I would cry of hunger. I would go to bed crying. I would, I couldn't think of anything else. I was supposed to be learning science, math, and, and American history Mexico City and, and, and the laws of the religion in which I was born. I couldn't think of anything. All well, I thought is, when is my next meal? And I wonder if my mom is going to be distracted so that I can eat a little more it was torture i never want to go back there and i was only 10 years old it was only the beginning of my journey when it comes to practicing my addiction but i want to give you hope real quick because the next paragraph the next paragraph it says in the middle of the paragraph on page eight of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, how dark it is before the dawn in reality That was the beginning of my last debacle. I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Catapulted. I don't know my English very well because English is not my first language. But catapulted is not smooth. It doesn't take too much time and it doesn't require a painful dragging through the steps. Catapult is quick, is sudden and effective. And where are we going to land after the catapult situation? In the fourth dimension of existence. I don't I hope I don't come across as cocky or as arrogant, but I'm there. I live in the fourth dimension of existence, having known The bitter morass of self-pity and the loneliness and the dark, dark, dark expression of my addiction. How did that happen? Well, I didn't do it alone. Um, I also go to the other um, fellowship, to AA, because when I was in my 20s, I discovered that if I drank enough white wine, I was not hungry. So uh, at the beginning, it was just one bottle of wine instead of four, but then it was two, then it was three, then it was four. Then in my thirties, I discovered amphetamines, and then I started I said, "Well, I said in my bright, addictive mind, I said, if I mix alcohol with pills, I won't be drunk all the time, and then I won't need to eat." And that happened. I mean, really, I I drank so much, and I mixed it with amphetamines, and I was on a roller coaster of activity all day long, and no, I didn't eat, and I was so skinny and skeletony. And I could wear the beautiful dresses that my mom was designing and sewing, but I was completely useless. I couldn't tell my my right from my left or my past from my present. And I was hospitalized more than once for a psychotic episode induced by mixing alcohol with pills. So that happened to me too. And um, so by the time that I came to a vision for you, I had... um, a couple of years of sobriety in the other fellowship because um, I almost died. I almost I almost overdosed with um, those substances, trying to remain skinny. So I went to AA and what happened? As soon as I put the alcohol in the pills down, I started eating. I started eating as if there were no tomorrow. Um, I was really, I mean, I was trapped. I was was at the end of my rope. I said, what is going to happen to me? I'm 48 years old. I can't drink alcohol. I can't use pills, which was my solution for my fat problem. Diets. I've been dieting most of my life. It never worked. So it just works for a little bit. Among the many things that I've tried uh, to control my eating problem was uh, joined the ultra-religious people in New York, and I thought that if I could only you know, join the people and be ultra, ultra, ultra-religious, then I could control my eating. And No, it didn't work. I gained a lot of weight. I, I learned a lot of recipes, but I gained a lot of weight. And um, I also um, joined a very strict um, yoga practice, the kind of yoga that you go into a 104-temperature studio and you sweat and you feel like you're having a heart attack, and I also you know got their diet and their practice and the meditation according to their directions and all of that. <laughs> I was flexible and I was strong but but I was certainly very overweight and 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 desperate for food still so and um, my parents sent me to a psychologist when I was four years old because I've always been very talkative. If you think that I talk a lot in English, you would never heard me in Spanish. It's I like just I'm that kind of kid that is restless and and is very active and very curious and talks a lot and jumps up and down and and talks to everybody and so I'm that kind of kid. I'm still that kind of kid at, at age fifty three. So so um. So, so that didn't work very well either. And, and and I became a psychotherapist in the process. I'm still in therapy. Uh, you're listening to 40 years plus of therapy, and we both chairs <laughs> because I became a therapist. Once, yep, when I was desperate, I told my psycho- my psychologist, "Am I going to be in therapy my whole entire life?" And he said, "Yes, you better start. Uh, you better start practicing sitting on the other chair." Anyway, I'm not going to say um, that psychotherapy or or a yoga practice or or the sincere devotion to one's religion is useless, but it was useless when it came to my problem with addiction. And um, so, 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 so after a couple of years of being in AA, I knew I already had experience, a little bit of experience of what's written in page 47. And I just, I just knew that the answer was in this book, but I still didn't know anybody who was applying it to the problem with food. So this paragraph says we needed to ask ourselves but one short question. And I invite you to join me. It doesn't matter regardless of where you are in your recovery. Even if you've been abstinent and in recovery and recovered for like 50 years, ask yourself this question. Do I now believe? or I am even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself. Now, we're not talking about the traditional religious God. We're talking about a choice of word that that is part of American culture already, power greater than myself, the higher power. We're talking about the specific experience that has worked and keeps working for alcoholics, for drug addicts, for compulsive shoppers, for um, compulsive overeaters, ever many, whatever, if, you, if, that, if the compulsive word is attached to a human behavior, I believe in this book and I believe in the process described of this book. So, this book has been translated to, I think it's 47 languages, 47 languages, all over the world. It works for all kinds of people for all kinds of addictive um, behaviors. So I turned to this book and I said, it's working for alcohol and pills. It is going to work for me with my problem of food. So there, you see, I I inserted myself in the pages of this book. As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he
4: is on his way. And the simple
3: cornerstone keeps building as I'm speaking a wonderfully effective spiritual structure. Now, I know that for practical purposes we say I am recovered. What we mean by that is that we went through the process with a sponsor and we 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 join a group and, and, and we have experienced a spiritual awakening and we're living our lives trying to carry it on. And the good news about this process is that it's just as progressive as the disease. The disease progresses, we know that, when we read you know, the chapter of um, the people that relapse, um, um, how it works and more about alcoholism. If we don't do anything about our problem, we'll get worse and worse, and worse, and worse, and worse with the years. And for people that are not alcoholics yet, but are compulsive eaters, that doesn't mean that you'll never cross that line. Because I see it every day. I see it every day. Like um, somebody goes to our halls. Or uh, compulsively eating in one of its expressions, they've never um, experienced anorexia or bulimia, and then <clears throat> the disease progresses, and it, it just takes it just takes a life of its own, and it never stops.
4: So, so the book
3: encourages us to be very humble and very patient and very curious to and keep learning through ourselves among ourselves, among among one another, to keep learning about the sneaky nature of this disease. Anyway, so I knew, I knew we even without knowing you guys, I knew that this book would work for me. So asking, asking, asking around I uh found the phone meeting because um I know that I have uh, more than one expression for my addictive soul, but my problem is that I only have one body, and know I only have one one day, and it only has twenty four hours. so I need to find a very effective way to treat my the whole the horrible longing of my body, which is the longing for God, in an effective way, and that effective way is the study and the practice of this book. So I found you guys. Oh, I just, it was May May the 17th of this last year. I already had stopped binging. I already had that. Some people in my AA meeting um, know how to do that, so I did it already. And surprise, surprise, there are alcoholic foods. Now, I know that we have heard, We sometimes we say, um, for alcoholics, it's easy because you just don't drink, and that's it. Now, it's not. It's it's exactly as easy as it is for us. Alcoholics can drink. We can drink coffee and, and milk and and water and all the beverages. The only substance that we need to abstain from is alcohol. The exact same happens for us. The exact same happens. But that's the way that I understood it for myself oh, of course I can eat. I just have to abstain from the foods that in my particular body function like alcohol. And that was such a breakthrough. I was just delighted because I have a very good list already. But then I got a sponsor in this meeting and she told me, uh, go to your quiet place and ask god to show you your alcoholic food not the obvious and the obvious is that most of us here are addicted to the same substances you know most of us cannot eat certain substances or the combination of certain most of us share the same substance but then for me i said she said ask god not only for the obvious but for the hidden and i went in prayer to my my quiet, quiet, quiet place, and I said, God, will you please let me figure out what are my alcoholic foods so that I can feel safe and protected, as the book promises. And I wrote a list, and I realized that for me, I cannot eat anything that is completely sweet, and that includes all the fruits. As soon as I wrote down, I called my siblings. My mom is deceased, but I called my siblings and said, we always knew you have hypoglycemia. You cannot eat anything anything sweet. Now, I spent my whole entire life figuring out how to be skinny. Do you think that I took very good care of myself in other areas? No, because all I wanted to find is the perfect diet, the perfect workout routine. Um, so that I could um, look good. And 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 that was the whole purpose of my life. And it didn't make me any happy. It didn't give me anything. Every once in a while, while I, um, um, every once in a while I would lose a lot of weight and I could wear a dress that I liked for like two days. And I was very surprised of how empty I felt. So that brings me to page sixty three.
4: On page sixty three I said, Okay,
3: I know that I um, um that I have this disease. It has many expressions. I have a very good list of the foods that in my body react like alcohol. And what I mean by that is once I once I s once I start I can't stop. And I just have to go through the whole entire box packaging. And I can't wait to do it all over again. So I have that. I believe that this solution works for a lot of people. And I believe in the voices of a vision for you. Because, you know, I've never seen my father, and I've never seen you guys. But the voices of a vision for you are so convincing are so attractive. is the equivalent of the fresh skin, glowing um, skin that every brought to Bill. I believe. I said, yes, yes, yes. This is going to work for me. This is working for me. But why or how? Step three. So I believe in my higher power already because I brought it from my other recovery. God, I offer myself to be. To be with me. You see all this hope, all this all this excitement, all this good list of a good food plan and a good list of foods that are poisonous to me, and to do with me as I will, relieve me from the bondage of self that I may better do thy will now we've heard these words in religious ambiences before if um you have been raised in a loving family that taught you religion or a loving family that taught you some spiritual principles or, or was into philosophy or was into psychology. you heard these ideas before, to be with me and to do with me as a world. Believe me of the bondage of self, that I may better do that well. Yes, but it totally makes sense to me. In the context of the problem that brought me here, the reason I was going to be granted I relieved from the obsession with food and food intake intake and grams of fat and grams of carbs and, and calories and, and points of diet code and, and size and BMI. was yes, So that I can better do God's will and then become a witness to those I would help. Aha. Uh-huh. I always wanted to be skinny and attractive so that I could marry a rabbi and go live in Israel. <laughs> now, I, it was not, it sounds good. I thought that it sounds like kosher, but it was not. It was just vanity. It was like a self-seeking entitlement, longing to be better than everybody else. It never happened. Oh, my God, it was horrible. I was, the bondage of self, talking about the bondage of self, Counting, um, constantly worrying about how much I ate, how do I look, how many pounds do I need to lose. Um, Hungry, that's another one. Hungry all the time. Hungry all the time. Looking for love so that I could get married and and go to some Disneyland of Souls. It was delusional. I was living in non-reality. Anyway, so I offered myself to God, and I said, here I am. I I am going to follow direction. I am going to um, listen to my sponsor, listen to a vision for you every day. That doesn't take away my face-to-face meeting every morning that I go to every morning and the step work that I'm doing with people. So, So what are we left with, what I was left with? There's no food, the food is down, my faith is high, what am I left with? Resentment, of course. Resentment. What is the definition of resentment in the context of this this, uh, work? Anything that feels bad and gets stuck in my brain, that's resentment. It can be fear, it can be shame, it can be extreme longing for something. The self-pity, feelings of entitlement. Uh, What else? else? I'm really good at shame and fear. That's my thing. And I don't do anger very well, although sometimes I surprise myself. But um, so angry, suspicious, lack of trust. So we're in page 66. It is plain in the second paragraph. It is plain that a lie which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. And to the precise extent that we permit this, to we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. Now, in the business of resentment, this resentment is infinitely great for people like us. We found that it's fatal. So I am not only addicted to enormous amounts of food and certain foods in particular, I'm also addicted to my flawed thinking. And it can be fancy or real. Is that crazy? It doesn't have to be real. It can only be fabricated in my mind. I'm addicted to that. A very quick example. Um, I'm a preschool teacher, and I have a a new partner. And I didn't know him, and I have never worked with him. So because my mind always goes to shame and fear, I go, oh, my God, this guy, he has so much more experience than I do, and he's way more talented than me. Oh, I wonder if he's going to like my routine. I wonder if he's going to like my layout of my classroom. I wonder if he's going to tell me what to do. By the time I see his face for the first time, my stomach is a knot and my mind is a mess. So it says, but what can we do about it? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. So second powerlessness in the book. I'm powerless over my compulsive overeating and my substance of choice. And I'm powerless over my resentment. So here we are. We have very clear instructions of how to write a fourth step. You know, the first column, the second column, where, where does it hurt? The second column, where does it hurt? And the third and the fourth column, what was, what is my active role in it? Now, having written all of this, it still doesn't work because it's just of knowledge. It works if I talk to another person, another person that knows the feeling of being in a body that cannot stop eating. So here we are on step five, on step five in page 75. We talk at our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of our past. Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. So the fourth step is like a messy closet packed with uh, clothes that don't fit anymore or are out of fashion. And I had one of those for real because dieting all my life, I had size 4 to size 24 in my closet. And out of fear, I couldn't throw anything away because what if this is the year in which I lose the weight or what if I lose control again and I will need this um, 24 size dress again? And um, in the first step, we, um, we read that this is not a punitive, accusatory, inventory. It's a very practical thing. So we open the closet of our soul and we say, okay, what do we have here? I have this hideous bridesmaid's dress, you know, purple full with ruffles that I never I wore once. Why do I keep it here? That is the equivalent of shame in my body. Why do I keep shame in the closet of my soul when it is very obvious that it doesn't work? Not only it doesn't work, it leads me back to my addiction. So now we see there are two kinds of triggers that I know so far. The first one is eating a little bit of the substance of my addiction in my mouth and swallow it. That triggers the the chemistry, the physical longing, yearning for more. But then, this is how I trigger my addiction too, if I keep using my non fashionable emotions that feel so familiar. But we're in step five. So, I talked to my sponsor, and she was patient enough to hear my resentment. And, and, and the the way that they made me feel, you know, the shame, the fear, um, the uselessness, the uselessness, like um, the emptiness of my life because it's so full with myself and my problems. So I told her the honest truth, the best I knew how to at that time. And then I went back home, and I found a place where I could be quiet for an hour, Now, I told you before that I'm a very restless kid that talks a lot. Being quiet for an hour, sitting by myself, being quiet for an hour, not wondering, how do I look? Does it show that I still have a belly? Do I have a double chin today? Um, Where's my next meal? Being quiet for an hour. I have that experience. Actually, I can have it anytime. I can just go sit turn it off, quiet for an hour with my God. That peace, peace of mind and tranquility in the body, that's what I mean by being recovered. And to the best of my ability, I I was just so grateful. I said, this book, this book and the people that are fond of it, I love them and I feel loved and I feel safe and I feel protected and I'm ready for the next step. So step six. Step six and step seven. You know, I don't know if you um, if it was easy for you to learn how to swim. But I was born in a city of elevated – it's an elevated valley surrounded by mountains. So we don't have body, bodies of water. So I was 15 years old when I learned how to swim. And um, you will laugh at this, but uh, my first class was in a classroom with a little book where I look at pictures of um swimming pools and pictures of people swimming. And then uh, this instructor describes how it felt um to be on the swimming pool and how um you should alternate moving your head from one head to the other so that you could breathe and kicking with your um knees locked and 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 your I'm soft. Well, you know, did the description of swimming. And because I love words and I love books, I said, I know how to swim. And I was convinced. I was convinced that I knew how to swim. Okay, the following day, I faced the, the, the swimming pool, you know, and I'm on the jumping trampoline. And then, and then the instructor says, do you know how to swim? Go. And he pushed me into the swimming pool. Oh, now once I went to the to the water, I realize I don't know how to swim. The steps are just like that. So step six what's my swimming pool. Yeah, all the theory is in place. I have my food. I have my food plan. The food is down. I believe in. I believe in the power greater than myself that is going to restore me sanity. I'm turning my wheel. I'm connecting with my fellows. I'm going to my meeting. I'm weighing my food. Um. Yes, yes, yes. This is my inventory. I let somebody come into the closet of my soul here's the here's the emotions that I don't want to do. now's the swimming pool. Am I ready to let God remove from us all the things that I have admitted are objectionable. Now I have lived a life of shame and fear. How is it going to be- how am I going to function now but because I had made a promise that I was turning my will and my best thinking to my God through you, I said, okay, I'm ready. I humbly ask you to remove these defects of character. Not, that I, not so that I can be comfortable, but so that I can be useful to you and myself. So, and my motivation was different. And my outlook on life is already changing a little. So in step eight I made a list. In step nine they come together. There are guidelines of the right spirit to make amends and and you know, the way to go about it and in constant contact with your sponsor. And so here in step nine, making not saying I'm sorry for the end time, oh I'm sorry I didn't pay attention to you because I was too busy counting calories. I'm sorry that I didn't go to your birthday party because I was afraid of food. I'm sorry that I forgot to meet with you or that I haven't had a success in my career because I've just been in the hospital dieting or, or making myself sick on purpose. Not I'm sorry, but I was living in a lie. I was wrong. Is there anything I can do for you now? So that Was the final rearrangement of my inner emotional skeleton, because all the promises are true, and they fall short. The promises are increasingly wonderful and increasingly interesting, and living on steps ten, eleven, and twelve. are such a way of life that is not a burden like my diets used to be. It's just increasingly interesting, as I said. And um, so we come to the final steps that are written on step on page 84 to 87. My favorite line here is, and we relax and take it easy. Not as not as not as if we were lazy, but we have a place to relax and take it easy. What is that place? The collective you. The collective you, a vision for you. Always as a whole. All the people that are today hoping that this work will work for them as well. That's where we relax and take it easy. And um I wish I could tell you more, but I'm very eager to hear you as well. Thank you for my life, and thank you for my recovery. And that's all I got.
5: Thank you so much, Marcella, this morning. Appreciate so much your story that you're telling. And I think now I can probably pass it over to Leia. It looks like maybe there's a little bit of tip, uh, technical difficulty, but what I would like to do, uh, for sure, thanking you, Marcella, for your story, would like to be able to open it now to um, questions and answers for anything that Marcella was. Sharing about today about the program of recovery. Are there anyone? In, is there anyone else that would like to ask Marcella a question this morning?
4: Press star one on your phone keypad. Just to be certain that I can be heard, can someone acknowledge that by pressing star one?
0: Melanie, can you hear me now? I can can hear you. I can hear you. Oh, good.
5: Thank you so much. Thank you so much, uh, uh, fellow Vision for Youers. I was a little bit concerned that perhaps I was alone, but I don't think that I am. Okay. Thanks, Marcella and Leah. Can I pass it over to you?
0: Yes. Thank you. Marcella, thank you so much. I'm sorry for the uh, technical difficulty there. Thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us this morning. Now we open the line for any questions you might have related to the program of recovery, anything that uh, Marcella shared this morning. Star 1 to unmute. Who would like to direct the first question to Marcella? Good morning, Maya. Hello? Say your name again then please go ahead.
6: Um this is Marita from Virginia.
0: Marita, good morning, go ahead.
6: Marcella, I loved what you said about um um equating uh the food the binge foods uh that trigger you with alcohol, like your alcoholic foods. And uh I I I've always thought that myself. Um one of the things that I noticed for me and I was gonna ask you how if this was true for you or what your experience was, is that you know, it's not just particular foods that uh that have that triggering effect and, and act like alcohol in my system, but also um an abundance of food, like the binge itself being a quantity, like like you stick enough fruit in there or enough carrots in there or enough anything, it's like a vat. It's like a wine vat in my stomach that uh, the food, atre- it, it putrefies and uh, comes up with the chemistry that also does the triggering for me. So so uh, I just wanted your take on that. Thank you.
3: Um, yeah, pass. thank you that is that is an excellent comment. Thank you so much for it. um yeah, that's my experience i back in Mexico um I know how to make alcohol with fruit, and it doesn't take much. it just takes certain fruits water and sugar, and it makes alcohol. You just let them rest and you bring a little oxygen into them, and you know just by pouring from one container to another it makes alcohol. it does alcohol so So that's one, you know, that's one way in which I get triggered, and that's why I don't eat sweet fruits anymore. And the other thing that you mentioned, volume, yes, um, I don't know where. I mean, in my long career as a dieter, somebody showed me a practical size of my body. If you make two fists and you put them together, that's pretty much the size of your body. In my case, it's like, like two cups, a little less probably than two cups. I don't like to stretch my, my stomach anymore because stretching my stomach is a trigger as well. Like um I've been absent for a while now so I know I I measure two two cups of food of my of my foods that are safe for me and and then I eat them slowly and then I feel the satisfaction. Like I give enough time for my brain to say, Oh, got it, got it, you you ate already. Because if I don't, if I just keep eating quickly, carelessly, then I start stretching and I don't see the actual amount of food in front of me, and I, I keep stretching my stomach. Once my stomach stretches a little, it's almost like my stomach says, oh, come on, where's the rest? And then it stretches to the end, like, I can, I can, I have eaten the volume of food that I have eaten in one sitting. It's scary. So yes, thank you so much for mentioning volume as well. The quality of alcoholic food and the volume. Yes, I
4: hope that helped. Thank you, Marita, for the question.
6: Yes, thanks so much for your share. I really enjoyed it. I passed.
4: Who's next?
5: Hello, yes, this is Jean from Boston. go ahead, Jean. I would like to ask her she because i i i you know, my hearing isn't too good, but um she made an analogy about the closet of her soul and the clo- and the closet the if i'm right and the closet in her soul cleaning the closet in her soul like she's cleaning their clo- her her material closet of clothes. And uh, if she could speak a little bit about that. I've been abstinent a long time. And um, that touched me in a different way. Thank you.
3: Well, yes. what I You know how in the big book it says that uh, when we do the fourth step, it says that we're making an inventory as a commercial inventory. And the book describes that a business that doesn't make an inventory doesn't have very much success. So it's like a store, right? And okay. if you have on your shelves of the store items that have not been sold in tons of seasons or they're just decaying there, um, that's not good for a business, right? So we're doing the same thing with with our inventory. So... My 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 vision for that. My vision for that was a closet. Why? Because in dieting, I have all sizes in my closet. But now I'm opening not not my physical closet to my sponsor. I'm opening the out of fashion, useless emotions that I keep in the closet of my soul that are not practical. Why should? Why in the world would I? keep reacting with shame when I know that it doesn't work? Why do I keep reacting with fear when I know that it never gets a a good outcome? Why would I keep um, going over and over and over with what happened to me when I was a little kid where the final result is an expression of extra weight in my body? So that's what I mean. That's that's how I experienced the fourth and the fifth step. The fourth is open in the closet, and the fifth step is just handling to my sponsor. Listen, I'll never wear this to Goodwill. <laughs> all right, this is out. No, nobody's going to wear it anymore. Trash. Out, out, out. So, But this is the hope. I'm discarding all items, not just to make the closet clean. I'm making space for new, beautiful, fashionable clothes that fit. What is that beautiful wardrobe? Peace, tranquility, an extraordinary sense of purpose, the willingness to help others, um, trust that everything is going to be okay at the end. And if it's not okay, it's because it's not the end. Compassion, tolerance, and a life that is just indescribably wonderful. So we're making space for new emotions. And that's the closet of my soul. Thank you.
4: Thank you so much, Jean, for the question. And
0: Marcel for the beautiful analogy. Anyone else with a question this morning?
1: Hi, my name is Nancy from Ohio. Good morning, Nancy. Go ahead. Hi, yes. Grateful to be here today. Um thank you so much for your share today Marcella. And I guess my question I have a question but you know I was able to call someone on the vision for you a few weeks ago with a situation I had and they were able to take me into the big book where God is my director and I found such peace with that. And my I guess my question is how did your sponsor take you through the big book my issue is I have a little bit of a comprehension problem, so I take a lot of notes, probably more than anybody, so I can grasp all of this. And I'm, I was just concerned, you know, do you write on each sentence or how did your sponsor take you through so you got to know the big book? And I'll pass. Thank you.
3: That is such a good question because it leads her to the whole issue of sponsorship. Um, the big book, you know how we say that the big book comes alive. Even though the big book is in black and white and it's, we have the same hard copy or the same downloading on your your smartphone or whatever, it always takes a different shape when two people get together to study. I've sponsored a lot of people and I have had some sponsors in, in my life. And it's never the same. It's never the same. You get to the big book, you meet somebody. Somebody says, can you, talk with them? can you take me through the steps? I say, sure. And then you start talking a little bit, and everybody is different. And everybody has limitations as well. So my limitation is that English is not my first language. I mean, I feel comfortable on it, but I know that some people have a lot of difficulty understanding me. And um, there are limitations of time. Everybody, I mean, Some people work full-time and have very busy lives. There are limitations of a lot of people are raising very young kids, so they hardly have any privacy. So we work with what we have. Um, but I strongly encourage you to keep looking for sponsors or for a sponsor until you find the right match. When I first came to a vision for you, so I was overwhelmed with the generosity of people. Three or four or five women called me and said, I'll sponsor you You know, I asked for one. And I tried with, I guess, three people. I don't even remember their names now. But I just, it was just, I don't even, I can't even put words to it. I just couldn't understand what they were saying. I couldn't make myself feel understood. But I kept trying. Why? Because this is a very serious business. This is not something that we do on our spare time just out as a hobby. We don't do this just to be cool. We we need it because the alternative is a horrific, agonizing, torturous, slow journey to the grave. So that's why we keep trying, keep trying. Now, are we ever going to be done? No. I am recovered because because I have some experience in the peace and tranquility and some experience in my ability to give it to others. But I am recovering with you as I'm speaking. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to recover because it's a continuum. It's alive. It's a a live wire. It's a flow. So keep trying until you find a really good match.
0: Thank you, Nancy, for the question. Anyone else this morning with a question? Star 1 to mute. Hello? Yes. Good morning. Um, my name is Maya, and I, I have a question. Um, I'd like to know how you, well, first of all, great, um, great um, presentation. Um, I'd like to know, and you spoke, a lot about some of the other addictions in your life. And I want to thank you for being honest about that. Because as an addict, it's it's usually not just food. There's, they co-mingle. And given that they co-mingle, um, how can you really isolate your addictive behavior um In other words, keep it from moving from food to money or sex or um,
4: alcohol or drugs. Thank you. Thanks
3: a lot. Um, Well, I mentioned it briefly that um, I know that we are divided, like there's many different fellowships depending on the substance that we abuse, but... We're addicted to the effect. In reality, language doesn't accurately describe what we do with the substances. I'm not I'm not addicted to food. I'm addicted to the effect that the food causes in my body, that immediate sense of pleasure and relief that, for me, I, I get it from alcohol. I get it from certain psychiatric pills. I get it from food. But it's the effect, you see? It's the effect. Any substance that you abuse will kill you, will kill you. So I don't do that division in my mind anymore. I don't. I have one body, and to me alcohol is alcohol because alcohol is alcohol. It doesn't matter if you make sandwiches with it. It doesn't matter if you chew on it or if you pop it as a pill. It is alcohol. So, you know, for people that are not addicts, Alcohol represents a liquid in a bottle, but for addicts in recovery like me, alcohol is is just a generic name for a substance or a behavior that we abuse. It's just a generic name. So, what is the answer? Is always the same. Granted, um, for 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 identification, we gather together with people that that. Use the same substance, but a lot of people find uh, recovery in AA that don't drink. I've seen them. I'm going to say something about that. I praise the humility of the people that created or started a vision for you. We don't. Well, how many times do we need to reinvent the wheel? We know the history of addiction is all this, old, old, old as human Addiction has been studied and recorded for ever. We, we read in in, in religious texts of Noah that as soon as the flood was over, he rushed and he planted a vineyard to have a, a feast and, and to get drunk. So addiction is very old. Now recovery is very young and we are pioneers. Recovery is so, so new. I think we're, it's, it, we're not even 70 years. It's 68 years since, since AA was founded. So we are all being pioneers of this wonderful, magnificent blessing that has been granted to us, the blessing of recovery from addiction. We're, We're pioneers in a huge leap in humankind. Do you know how many people have died and suffered all their lives from addiction to whatever? Addiction is addiction. The solution is one and one, our common solution. The steps are they described in the big book? I hope that that helped.
4: Thank you, Maya, for the question. Anyone else
0: this morning? This is Susan. (laughs) Good morning, Susan. Good morning. Thanks so much to both of you.
3: I'm outside, so I will say
0: thank you in advance for the response, and then I'm going to mute myself right after the question, because it's loud here. Um, you spoke um, so beautifully about so much, and, and you mentioned some spiritual principles, compassion, patience, tolerance, and uh, you know, naturally those would lend themselves toward improved relationships. Um, but could you speak more about the personality change transformation that occurs through the process of recovery for you personally, and how it's manifested in your relationships today?
3: Thanks so much. Oh, that's that's great. Thank you so much. Well, um, see, I don't even think that I had that much of a personality when I was actively in my disease because. Uh, if if we can describe um, addiction, active addiction is just self-centeredness. I didn't have a life. I was my own life. I was so consumed with preoccupation about me and myself that I couldn't have any relationships. So <clears throat> I was given this path that cannot be walked alone. This is like a mysterious journey that only works if you grab the hand of another person that suffers from the same disease and then it's like landing in a different planet see i have the experience of immigration because i was born i'm jewish i was born in mexico city and my dad used to make fun of me he says that i have in i have an accent in three languages and i do (laughs) but you know you go to israel for the first time in your life everything is exotic it's different the alphabet is different and and people look different. Then you go to Michoacan in Mexico, and complete different scenario. You don't recognize the the landscape, and you see trees that are exotic, and and everything tastes different, and even the water feels different, and the air feels different. Then you go to Boston in winter, and you, everything is snowing, and and people dress funny, and and and, and everything is exotic. That's exactly how it feels, from being in active addiction to being recovered. Nothing makes sense, but it's go- it's a good nothing makes sense. It's good. It's everything is curiosity. Like I feel a sense of wonder and a sense of optimism that I've never had. Frankly, I've never had before. I almost feel like I've, I've been granted a second youth. Now, a practical example of this. Um i feel i have historically i've felt very anxious in family situations i feel um nervous i feel anxious i feel fearful i i feel inadequate and judgmental at the same time so i avoid family situations but um my mom in law she's eighty one and she lives in a in an assistive facility and and my husband said um he still asks, God bless his heart, he says, um, would you like to go see my mom? And I stopped for a little while because normally I would say, no, no, you go ahead. I, I I, just stay here and listen to my meeting, right? Because I have a good excuse. And then I said, why not? Why not? So off I went, you know, to Peabody to visit with my mom-in-law. And a little bit of the old feelings were like, oh, what am I going to say? Am I going to get bored? This is my day off. I should be doing something more fun. Is she going to be sick? It's like a little. But then I said, I don't know, because that's the honest truth. I didn't know what was going to happen. Off we went. And we sat, you know, in her place. This is a very pretty place. And we sat, and then we started talking, and I made a switch in my mind. I'm talking to somebody in recovery, but I'm just meeting this person. And we we stopped four hours after, just because it was my time to eat. And I said, what happened here in these four hours? I was having fun. I was laughing with my husband. I was looking at old pictures. We were, you know, jumping from Italian to English too. Spanish to who knows what we were, we were having fun and she was delighted to, to have a visitor and, and I was not hungry. And then I stopped and I said, I, I, guys, I have to go to eat. Oh, let's go eat together. We ate, we ate together. And I had so, it was such, it was a revelation to me. This is not me. That's what I can tell. This is not me. Who is this person? But from the outside to be generous and caring for an older person who gave my husband his life. That's not me. That's the person that you together collectively keep creating as I'm speaking. And that's what I need what I will need you forever. I will need you forever, forever. That's another one. You know, I was not aware that in order to have a, a good, healthy life I needed anybody. We are very special, very curious piece of equipment. When I was eating and drinking and mixing it with pills in the hopes to be skinny and beautiful, I thought that the shape of my soul was such as a container. If I poured enough, love, attention, care, the right job, the right guy, food and alcohol, then eventually it will overflow and I will have enough to share it with others. No, that's not the shape of my soul. The shape of my soul is such a tunnel. If I connect to God through you and then I don't keep it for myself, if I try to the best of my ability to keep the flow going, that's, that's what gives me increasing satisfaction and happiness. So, um, yeah, so I have a full-time job. I'm married. I just bought a little place with my own money. I have a job that I enjoy. I'm not hungry. I'm not thinking of food. I know what I'm going to eat next. And I try to walk the walk with another person um, with no expectations except to keep this live wire. And that's not me (laughs) because I'm a spoiled brat. So I hope that I answered your question.
0: Thank you very much, Susan, for the question. Anyone else this morning? Questions for Marcella?
4: Our one-time mute. Going once.
6: This is Elaine in Massachusetts.
5: Elaine, good morning. Good morning. Uh, this, is, this is Jean again, and I don't know whether, because I didn't get it in at the beginning of the meeting, whether Marcella gave her telephone number or not. Okay. Jean, we will get that. Elaine, go ahead with your question first. Um, I, I had already asked my question. I just called this back because I just wrote down her name because she yes. gave me such good advice. Okay, I'll Thank wait. you. Oh. Thank right. you so much. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. 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 Elaine, go ahead with your question. Marcella, thank you so much for your share. It's been great to hear you. And um, I am wondering if you could speak a little bit more to Step
3: 11, uh, your practice of prayer meditation. Thank you. Yes. Um, well, step eleven, step ten and eleven kind of blend in the big book, so it is a combination of both. Um, the book is very clear. It says on awakening we do certain practices, and and upon we, when we retire at night we do certain practices. So um, I'm going to start describing my spiritual practice. Um, what I do at night when I go to retire today. So um, I, you know, I just say this is the end. I'm going to go to the bed. All uh, oh, most of my problems with pills become with problems with sleeping. So <clears throat> I, and that that's what my third my one of my very first pills that I was giving when I was four years old. So. so I keep a very highly structured routine to go to bed, and that helps me a lot with my problems with sleep. So so I say, this is the end. I'm going to go to bed, and then I stop listening to noises. I No TV, no music, no nothing. I go, and you know I get ready for bed, and then um, I kneel, and then I say, thank you. See, I'm a person of too many words, so if I start talking to God, <laughs> I'll just never stop. So I just say, thank you, and I just say, thank you. Now, another thing about the kneeling situation. I was raised Jewish, and and we usually, it's not of our custom. So at the beginning, when I first came and I learned about these things, I was very defiant, desperate and defiant at the same time. So I was told, just try it. That was the beginning of my curiosity. I wondered if it feels different to kneel. I kneel and I bow my head and then I and then I realize what I'm doing. I'm shortening my distance in the presence of my higher power that kept me sober the day out of awe and respect and love. And I like that. So I bow my head and I say thank you and I just think, I just say thank. That's it. Thank you. Then I sit down and I read my formal prayer from my my. from my my prayer book, and then I go to bed. That's it. And um, the writing situation. I don't write my 10-step at night because, as I said, I'm, I'm just too worried. In the morning, that's the first thing that I do. How am I going to start my day? And I open a little notebook that I have, and I look for resentments. Most of the time, I'm telling you the truth. I don't, they're they're not, they're not there. There is more curiosity. What fuels me these days is curiosity. So I make my plan for the day. And then I carry that notebook in my bag. If something bothers me or if I get worried or preoccupied or if I get fearful or if I feel shame, I go to the bathroom with my book and I do it right on the spot. I just do my fourth columns, the person or the situation or the principal, the cause of my resentment, where does it hurt, and what is my role in it? And I say a prayer. If I can, I talk to somebody else that is in recovery with me. If I can't, I just pray. And then this is the trick, and this is the spiritual um, adjustment. I stop thinking of myself, and I immediately look around, what can I do for others? What can I, How can I make myself useful right here, right now? I can't say enough about that switch of uh, direction of my intention, of my intention. Stop thinking about my desire and adjust my intention. That's a spiritual practice that works for me. Then I just go about my day. And then um, I go to a face-to-face meeting every day, an AA, face-to-face meeting, big book oriented. And then I listen to a vision for you at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when I get my break if I'm not working the steps with somebody on the phone. And um, I sponsor two people a day, one in the morning, one at night. And what else? And um, that's pretty much it. So I don't see the difference uh, between prayer and a meeting, I approach the meeting with the same reverence and the same sense of awe, and the same sense of curiosity and compassion and love um, that I have when I go to a, a house of worship, and and I take advantage of every of every chance that I have to help another person, knowing my limitations, because not only. Because it is my intention to help you, that means that I'm going to you no know, it just does it just doesn't happen, but the intention was there. and um yeah, so that's everybody's different by the way, like right? nobody has the exact same spiritual practice, and that's okay, that's actually this unless you make this program absolutely custom tailored to yourself, you'll drop it pretty soon, so, yeah. I hope that that helped.
4: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
3: Marcella, can we get your phone number? Oh, At absolutely. My, I live in Boston. My phone number is 617-501-6275.
0: Thank you. Again, that's Marcella's phone number, 617 501 6275 and that's eastern time.
4: Anyone else with a question this morning? Okay, I'll take
0: that as a no. All minds are cleared. Marcella, we thank you so much for your time and sharing your experience strength and hope with us. Thank you so very much
3: for 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 the invitation, and may all of you have a very easy day today.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. And I'm going to close the meeting this morning in the way that a vision for you always closes its meetings, and that's from the reading on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us.